You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, the podcast for Christadelphians and those seeking the truth about God. This podcast is brought to you by ChristadelphianVideo.org, the largest depository of Christadelphian videos on the internet. This episode is called The Return of Jesus Christ to the Earth. And that's a phrase that you may well have heard many times. But it is a a phrase that is fundamental to the teaching of the gospel. The good news concerning Jesus Christ is that he will return to the earth to set up God's kingdom. Today's social problems indicate that the kingdom of God and the return of Jesus Christ to the earth is the only solution for the many problems that the world faces The word of God is clear that the Lord Jesus Christ shall return to the earth. And with Bible in hand and a close look at what is happening in the world right now, we can see clearly that his return must be close. He said before he comes again, there would be trials and problems which men would be unable to solve. And that there would be unrest in the nations with wars and rumours of wars. Such signs help us to prepare our minds and our bodies and our lives for his coming. This podcast is about 32 minutes long. It was delivered by Brother Chris Davenport from the Rugby Ecclesia in the UK. If you've got any comments or questions, please do get in touch. We do love to hear from you and really appreciate them. But until next time, may God bless you in your studies and search for truth. Amen. This is our subject, and this is the sort of agenda we want to follow. Just four points. How we know that Jesus will return. Uh, Then what will he do when he does return? and what the earth will be like when he does return. And then a little bit at the end about the time frame uh, of what we have to say. So, how do we know that Jesus will return? Well, we've just read this section from uh, Acts chapter 1. We don't need to refer to it. The little Bible at the bottom is just to prompt me to ask you to turn the passages up. Um, We've probably already got our Bibles open at uh, Acts chapter Uh, One, so look at those verses, just uh, those uh, verses 9 to 11. Um, These are words that are spoken by an angel. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. A cloud received him out of their sight. That's Jesus. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by. They were angels um, in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven, into the sky? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. How more clear could those words be? This same Jesus, not a different one, shall so come in like manner. It doesn't really leave any room for doubt. In like manner as ye have seen him go up. So just as he was seen going up, he will be seen coming down. That's the implication of that, isn't it? And if we just look um, at at a a passage which is only a couple of chapters later on, but it it reminds us of what we've just read in in Acts chapter 1. 
that God will send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive, he's got to be in heaven, until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Restitution of all things. What's meant by that? Well, the, remember the apostles asked in verse 6 of the first chapter of Acts, will you restore again the kingdom to Israel? So it, that's the act of restoration. It's the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, which was at one time the kingdom of God and will be in the future, as, we've, as we know. Um, and those two that we've looked at are just two out of the more than 200 references in the New Testament to the return of Christ. So how do we know? Well, <laughs> if we are Bible believers... We've got to believe that Jesus will return to the earth again. We're told time after time after time. So that's the first, the first section. Next question is, what will he do? What will Jesus do when he comes? Well, the first thing that he will do is raise the dead. Now, we know this from another passage in Acts. It probably is worth turning because it's only just back a few pages. Uh, into John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Uh, this is what he said about what Jesus will do in relation to raising the dead. And so he says in verse 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There's a lot in those verses. All that are in the earth shall come forth. That all has got to be qualified a little bit, and, and we'll explain what we mean by that. This is a process that uh, Jonathan talked about uh, last Sunday when he was talking about, about life after death. And he described the process as using a Greek word, the Greek word that appears in the New Testament. It's the Greek word anastasis, and it means literally to stand again. Now, when we die, we fall into the ground, and our bodies disintegrate, and they, and we end up as dust, just like we started out. In a sense, we started out nowhere, didn't we? Uh, and we, we were made from chemicals, and we return like like Adam was made from the dust of the earth. We return to that dust, and that's a representation there of the earth, and a few bits and pieces of body lying around. Uh, the earth. Now, this, this process of anastasis, I'm going to try and illustrate it. Now, this might not work, but bear with me. Okay? Anastasis, well, th this, these bits and pieces have got to be brought together, haven't they? So that the person can stand again. Let's see whether it works. You'll notice the bits in the ground are disappearing as well. Um, there's an arm. And a leg. It worked. <laughs> okay, so that, that and, and literally that means that that is what will happen to bodies that have been in the ground. They may have been in the ground for thousands of years, but they'll be subject to this standing again. They will stand again once more out of the earth. Okay, that's the first thing that, that Jesus will do. Now, we want to just examine it a little bit more carefully and see, well, just who does that apply to? Well, here's a, here's a diagram. That, that ellipse, some people might think it's a rugby ball, but that, that ellipse is a description of everybody that's ever lived in the world throughout all time. 
Will everybody who's lived in the earth at all throughout history, will they all be raised from the dead in that way? Will, all, will they all experience this anastasis? Well, no, they won't. The earth is divided into two classes of people. The one class have heard the word of God and they have heard the command to obey it. And so they are responsible. We sometimes talk about that class there as the responsible class because they're responsible to keep the word that they've heard, the word of God. The other uh, class are those who have, have no knowledge of God's word. They've never heard it. And God is a just God. And he won't hold people who have never heard his word, have never been told to obey it. He will not hold them to judgment. Because, and neither will he raise them. They will have lived, they will have enjoyed their life, or they won't have enjoyed their life, and then they will die again. And that will be the end of them. Now what about these, then, who, who are subject to this anastasis, um, who have heard God's word? They experience this, uh, this anastasis, as we've said. Well, what, will, what will Jesus then do? with those who have been brought again out of the dust of the earth and stand again. What will he do to them? Well, he's got to judge them. We know that from another reference in the scripture. that We won't turn to this one. I'll just read it to you. It's from Romans chapter 14. Why dost thou judge thy brother, says the apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the Romans? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now we can see that we do have to qualify, don't we, the all in that verse. Because there's a, that, that class that we spoke of before, that had never heard of the word of God, and therefore were not responsible to obey it, had not even heard it, are not included in that all. And that's so when the apostle says, so then every one of us shall receive account of himself to God. It's not every one of everyone who's ever lived. It's everyone who's heard the word and been called upon to obey it. It's the responsible men and women who've lived on the earth. That's the, um, that's the those who will be subject to judgment. So if we go back to, uh, yes, there's a slight change in that diagram. That the writing on the right says, They'll experience anastasis and judgment. They'll be subject then to judgment. They won't at that stage be immortal. They can't be immortal, otherwise there's no point in the judgment, is there? As we shall see. Let's see whether this bit works as well. So here's the, here's the, um, here's the diagram again. And now we've had to divide that, uh, those who've heard the word of God into two categories. Those who were judged worthy, uh, and, and Christ is the judge, and, and he will decide... Uh, whether a man or a woman has endeavoured in their life to obey the commands of his father. We know that everyone fails, but the, the judgment will be entirely at the discretion of the Son of God, who understands us, who understands our frame, understands our difficulties, and he knows that we will fail from time to time. So the judgment will be made on the general drift of a man's life or a woman's life. So some will be judged worthy and some will be judged unworthy. We don't know the ratio. There's no significance in the ratio of the areas shown there on that diagram. It's just a division into those two. Some are judged worthy by Christ and some are judged unworthy. 
And we read that, didn't we, in that John chapter 5. Perhaps we'll have another look at it in, in verse 29. They shall come forth. Now, we've already seen the coming forth. That's the anastasis bit. They'll come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So there are two destinations spoken of here. The worthy, we see here, um, have a destination of life. And so they will have their bodies changed, transformed from mortal, corruptible, feeble, frail, illness-prone, sin-prone natures to immortal natures. Natures like the one that Jesus now has, which will never know those things, never know sin and death and illness. That's the wonderful change, and we'll, we'll read about it in just a second. We've got a, a, a very good reference, a very good chapter that speaks about that change, the change of nature from mortal to immortal. But what about those who are judged unworthy? What, what will happen to them? Well, they'll die again. So there they are, and where do they end up? Well, they, they end up uh, where they started from, in the ground. It's sometimes called the second death. And so they will have died once, they'll be raised again because they're responsible to judgment, they'll be judged unworthy, and so they'll die again. So there's the, there's the first thing, really, that Jesus will do. He'll raise the dead and judge them, and there will be this differentiation between those who've obeyed his Father's commands and those who have not. Just continuing um, that, that theme of what he will do and how he will immortalise, this is a good reference to, to turn up, it's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is a whole chapter about resurrection. And it, uh, it tells us some really interesting things about the process of resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we'll just look at the end of the chapter, um, starting at verse 51 here. Paul says the Apostle Paul, I show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, or not all die, actually that means, but we shall all be changed. Now that's, that's this transformation that we spoke of, let's see whether it's still on the screen. Yeah, that's this transformation, the transformation from mortal, having been raised, to immortal. That's the change that the Apostle is talking about here. We shall not see, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So it's not a long, drawn-out process. It's a snap-of-the-finger process. God can do it in an instant of time, that transformation of, of a body from being mortal to being immortal. And that's a huge change. At the last trump, this will happen. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Now that word raised there, doesn't, that's not the same as anastasis. That's the word that means to be lifted up to a higher nature. It means to be lifted from a lower to a higher nature. And we shall be changed. So that resurrection, that raising there, is talking about this change. For the, This corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. That's the description of the change. So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written that death is swallowed up in victory. It means that the man or the woman will no more be subject to death. They never die again. Immortal, that's what immortal means, isn't it? 
not mortal anymore, not subject to death. And there's a wonderful chapter which describes this, this remarkable change, this transformation which occurs in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when a, when a raised body, a body that's been raised out of the ground, put together again, caused to stand again, is transformed into an immortal body, a body like the one that Jesus now has, which is not subject to death or pain or all those other things that uh, we associate with mortality. Now, the next thing that Jesus will do, there's there are lots of things Jesus will do when he comes back, and we have time to deal with them all, but an important thing is that the Jews, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, will be saved from a destruction. The, the, the nation of Israel, which will have returned to the promised land in Israel, will be invaded, but she'll be saved out of this from this enemy who invades her. We heard a lot about that on, uh, on Thursday, didn't we? And so if we look at this, uh, this verse in Zechariah chapter 14, this is, what, this is what is prophesied now. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. It's not just one nation, it's a confederacy of nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city will go forth into captivity. The residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And that's said about the Lord Jesus. Remember, that's where he was when, he, when the disciples saw him go up. He will have returned. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And he will deliver the, the, Jew, the Jewish people from the invader, which is described in the other prophecies, which we haven't time to look at just now. So he will save the Jews from their destruction. And he'll restore, as we saw there in that first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, he will restore the kingdom of God to Israel, as, as he has promised. Wilt thou at this time, said the disciples, restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus didn't say, well, I'm not going to do that, did he? He said, it's not for you to know when. And we don't know when. But it is the declared purpose of God to restore the kingdom of God to Israel. But he'd also rule over the whole earth. And so we have this wonderful verse in Psalm 2, which you don't need to turn to, I'll read it. Yet have I set my king, says God, upon my holy hill of Zion. The king is Jesus, Zion is Jerusalem. I will declare the decree, the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That's a reference to the resurrection of Jesus himself. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. That's, that's a, that word heathen there means the nations in the world. The heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. So although the kingdom is restored to Israel, the dominion of that kingdom is universal. It covers the whole earth, uh, and the whole earth, as it were, becomes the possession of the Son of God, who rules in Jerusalem, as we shall see. And another verse from, from also from Zechariah 14, which we looked at earlier. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, and there shall be one Lord and his name one. So there is an intention, a plan by God to provide a ruler who will rule the whole earth. He'll be king over all the earth. 
And there'll be one Yahweh, that's, that's the word Lord, it means Yahweh, one Lord God, his name one. And his name will be honoured and hallowed as well. That means it will be honoured by the people of the earth. What about people who don't agree with all this on the earth? Well, it's, it's a pretty hard thing this, but it's, the Apostle and Jesus himself was pretty clear about this. Here's a quotation from uh, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, he says that to you who are troubled, God has promised rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? In flaming fire, taking vengeance. And Jesus spoke a parable. Um, which contained his intention with those who refuse to have anything to do with this righteous king who will, whose feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and who will save the Jews from their enemies and who will then seek to judge the world in righteousness in a way which we'll talk about in a second. Towards the end of a parable, Jesus says, Those mine enemies that would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And that is the intention. Uh, of the Lord God and of his Son. Those who refuse to cooperate uh, in this wonderful project of God will be removed. That's a, from a parable, but it does reflect what will happen. Just continuing, what will he do? Well, what sort of a reign will Christ have on the earth? Well, he'll reign in peace and in prosperity. Now, this is a wonderful reference from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 and it describes the nature of the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ and also pro prophesies that he's going to come as ruler. So we look at verse uh, 6 of this chapter. Here's a prophecy of the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the earth, which was written hundreds of years before it happened. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's, those are his, his titles. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, it's in Jerusalem, restore again the kingdom to Israel. On the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So there's a, a prophecy, isn't there, of the appearance of the Son of God, a child born, it turned out to be a child born to Mary, the house of David, who would sit upon the throne of his father David, as the angel said to Mary before he was born, and who would rule in righteousness. He would rule, it'd be known as the Prince of Peace, because uniquely he'd be able to produce peace in the earth. There's another wonderful description in the, um, in the 11th chapter, and since that's only two pages up along, let's have a look at the 11th chapter of Isaiah. And in the, uh, the second verse, this is describing what sort of ruler Jesus will be. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Yahweh, shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, 
the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's the sort of spirit, as it were, that will rest upon the Lord Jesus Christ when he rules in righteousness. He's described in the first verse as a rod out of the stem of Jesse. That's because Jesse was the father of David, and Jesus was born of the house of David. Mary was the house of David. So was Joseph, actually. So he came, he was a descendant of David. So he came from, he was a rod out of the stem of Jesse. So it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about the Messiah, the Christ. Spirit of counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor. Now you just compare that with the sort of rulers that we have in the world today. How do they make judgments? Do they, do they judge in the fear of the Lord? Do they judge because they have the spirit of God upon them? Not at all. They usually judge according to their own ambitions and come to judgments and decisions that will prolong their period of power. But according to this prophecy, there will be a righteous judgment. So verse 4, with righteousness shall he judge the poor. Man can only judge by what he sees and what he hears, can't he? There's nothing else. What What else can he do? Jesus, when he is the king of the earth, will not be confined to what he sees and hears. He will know, because he has the power, the spirit of God, to know what is right and what is wrong. And so the judgments that will be pronounced in those days, those future days, when Jesus returns to the earth, will be righteousness, righteous judgments. Righteousness, uh, with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. So the meek being trodden down, because they're defenceless, their cause will be supported. And smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. What a wonderful prospect that is for the earth, to have a ruler like that. Never had one before. No ruler can be described in these terms. But that's the intention of God when he sends his son back to the earth again. And there's another reference in, in uh, Isaiah um, later on, which I don't need to turn to it. The work of righteousness, because remember, it's with righteousness shall he judge the poor. The work of righteousness shall be peace. That's how peace is procured. That's why he's called, and will be called, the Prince of Peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Those are conditions which have never applied upon the earth since its creation. There's never been a period of quietness and assurance. There have always been wars and fights and strife and murders and thefts, hasn't there? That's the, that's the world in which we live. It's the world in which it's always existed. But when the Prince of Peace comes, when the Son of God comes, when the child that will be born appears upon the earth for a second time, according to the word of those angels to the disciples, then he will rule the world in righteousness. And that righteousness will produce these wonderful effects on the earth. How will the nations respond? Well, we've already spoken about those who resist it, that they will be removed. There is no room in this new system for those who will not submit to it. There's no room for them. But in general, in general, the people of the world will 
will cooperate. They will, they will see it's in their interest to cooperate. There's another reference here from Isaiah. This is the second chapter. Instead of Israel being a bit of a pariah in the world, which is, and the United Nations are always judging against Israel, and accusing them of this, that, and the other. Instead of that being the case, we've got this prophecy in Isaiah that many people shall go and say, come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Let's go up. Why? To learn something. He will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion, Jerusalem, shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. They will. They won't just make statues about it, like they have outside the United Nations building in New York. They'll do it. War will be abolished. Why? Because it's, the world will be ruled by the Prince of Peace, the Son of God. Swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What a powerful prophecy that is. That feature which has blighted the world for so many centuries and millennia will be removed. It can only be removed by the Son of God when he returns to the earth to sit upon his throne in Zion. And then the nations will want to come up. They will see the benefit of learning from the Son of God and they will honour him as a righteous king and as one who can bring prosperity to their lives. What about the time frame? How long will all this take? And, uh, and, and when will it happen? Well, how long will it last? Well, there's a reference in the book of Revelation here. Um, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. We mentioned the second death. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So there is to be a period of a thousand years in which... Um, Christ's glorified, immortalized companions will reign with him on the earth. Now that's not the end of the kingdom because there is another reference but I haven't time to, to turn to it. It's also in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 which tells us that, that when this thousand years is finished then the kingdom is handed over from the Lord Jesus Christ who will be the king handed over to his father that God may be all and in all. Now, we don't know what will happen then. The Bible doesn't tell us, and there's no point in speculating. But it isn't the end of the kingdom. The kingdom is handed over to God uh, who instituted it in the first place. Um, we might say, well, when will it start? Well, another reference here which you need to comment on, it's also from Revelation Jesus said, he that testified these things saith, surely I come quickly, amen, even so, come Lord Jesus, surely I come quickly. Now, unfortunately, quickly doesn't mean soon, it just means suddenly, it means uh, he'll come in a way that's unexpected, like a thief comes, unexpectedly. And so he's not saying there that uh, he's going to come in imminently, and we don't know, we don't know when Jesus will return. We would love to know, but we're not 
given to know. As, as Jesus said to his disciples in that first reading we had from the Acts of the Apostles, it is not to you for, to know the times and seasons. Maybe there's a wisdom in that, in that it could be any time. And we can look at the events in the world and see, hmm, it looks as though he ought to come soon, but we can never be certain when he will come. And that means we've got to be ready at all times. You've got to be ready all the time for his return. And it could be soon. It could be soon. So let's summarise very briefly then. Jesus Christ will return just as surely as he ascended into heaven. And what will he do? He will raise and judge the dead. He will immortalise uh, the faithful. Uh, those who are unfaithful will descend back into the ground. He will set up the kingdom of God in Israel and he will rule over all the earth. He will destroy the opposition to his rule, as we've seen also. And he will reign in peace and prosperity. That's what Jesus will do when he comes back. And what will it be like? Well, it will be a righteous government, uniquely. For the first time, there will be righteous government. Men may be sincere. Politicians may be sincere in, in their intentions. I think many of them are. And they do seek to serve the people that have elected them. But they always fail, don't they? They can never keep their promises. Not necessarily because they knew they weren't going to keep them, but they can never do it, can they? Because they don't have that spirit of God in order to perform the things that they would like to see happen. And so there is no righteous rule in the earth. And neither is there any peace, is there? And prosperity is in short supply in many parts of the earth. Time frame, well, the kingdom initially will last for a millennium, a thousand years after that, handed over to God, uh, and we don't know what will happen after that. Uh, God has not chosen to tell us, so there's no point in speculating. And just finally, Christ could return at any time to begin this program, and our job is to be ready when he does come. Thank you.